I know many of you, but I don't know all of you. My name's Phil. Uh And we're going to find out if this mic works. If it doesn't, I'll use a handheld. But we're going to try it, all right? Now, my claim to fame is this is my daughter, Melissa, all right? So I'm I'm her dad. I'm Kendrick's father-in-law, but even greater, I've got three grandkids here. You know, Isaac and Selah and Max. So I'm here because Kendrick, your pastor, is studying. He's over at Gateway Seminary. He has a 10-day uh, seminar uh, where he is studying on his doctor of ministry. Is that scary or what? Is there a microphone? I lost it. You got it back there? Okay, let me get back to my point. Is it a scary thought that you may have to call him Dr. Neil? No. Now, come on, be honest. Kendrick, Dr. Neil, I, I have problems with that. Uh, but anyway, he's working on that, on a doctorate. And trying to study scripture, trying to be better equipped. If, need if I need it, I got it here. Okay, thanks. So again, you can call me Dr. Phil. <laughs> How's that working for you? But I'm so glad to be here today. I've, I've preached here oh, quite a number of times before. But the faces always change. But when I come, I always sense God's presence. Do you understand that when God's people come together to worship Him, the Bible tells us very clearly that He's there. Do you even stop to think about that, that the presence of Almighty God is here with us today? That He wants to speak to us? He speaks to us through His Spirit and through His Word. And that's why we as Baptists, and we call ourselves Baptists because of several things. One is we believe in baptism by immersion, that the body goes under the water, that when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, he was immersed, not sprinkled. We're Baptists because we believe that this is God's holy, inerrant word, and it's what we follow. And we're Baptists because we believe that it's God has called us, as it says on the wall in the lobby, to take the message of Jesus Christ and salvation to the ends of the earth. It means something. I, I had a, a teenager ask me, why do we have to be Baptists or Nazarene or why do we be this or that? And I said, well, it's kind of like a restaurant. When you go to a restaurant, would you like to know before you walked in if it's Mexican or if it's Italian? I mean, that's why you put it up there because it means something. Now, and today people don't want that kind of thing. They just want to go to church and love Jesus. And that's, I, I appreciate that. And I believe God uses all, church, all kinds of churches. Don't get me wrong. Community churches, Presbyterian churches, Nazarene uses them. But that little word Baptist tells you that when you walk into that church, they're going to be preaching this as God's inerrant word. They're going to be baptizing people by immersion in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And they're going to be sending people out to tell the whole world about Jesus, okay? That's what it means. The most important thing, though, is that you're a follower of Christ, amen? That's the most important thing, not labels, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. You put a label on it so people will know what kind of food you're serving in the service. Kendrick has been preaching last week, and he'll preach next week, some messages about this year. Have you made your New Year's resolutions? How many of you did not on purpose? You did not. I, I need to know. Okay, and that's fine. How many of you did make some this year? Okay, you know what I found? We have stopped making resolutions like we used to because we don't keep them anyway, right? <laughs> right. 
But today I want to challenge you. Kendrick, last week, he talked about this year, enjoy peace with God and others. Wow, what a great goal. Instead of, you know, getting in shape, losing weight, reading a book, this year, make it a resolution to enjoy peace with God and with others. Next week, he's going to be challenging you this year, practice these things. This year, practice these things. He's going to be in Philippians. Well, today, sandwiched between his two this year messages, I've got a message that's this year, choose to follow the Lord, to serve the Lord. Do you realize that choosing to serve the Lord is an intentional choice? You could say, well, I already did that. Well, I understand that. Many of you if I were to ask you, would say, yeah, I chose to follow the Lord a long time ago. For me, when I was eight years old, I still remember it. Eight years old in Eureka, California, at a church you've all heard of, Pine Hill Baptist Church. Oh, no, you haven't heard of it. On a Sunday night service, I still remember when I prayed and said, God, I believe in you. I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe he died for my sins. Would you forgive my sins? And would you become my Savior and my Lord? I was eight years old. It was June 7th, 1959. That's a long time ago. But I still remember it. Yes, many of you have done that. You've prayed a prayer where you've made a commitment of your life to Christ. But do you understand that that initial commitment to Christ doesn't mean that you're choosing to serve the Lord day by day? Do you understand that? And it's a choice. It's a choice. Every day when we wake up, we have a choice to make. Turn, if you would, to Joshua chapter 24. Turn to Joshua chapter 24. The Bible is full of stories of God challenging His people to recommit to follow Him. But I love this one. Joshua chapter 24. It's in the Old Testament, and many times we don't spend much time in the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament is about this much of the Bible, and the New Testament's about this much. Why does God have so much? 39 books in that Old Testament for us. Because the people that lived thousands of years ago are much like us today. We think everything's different. It's really not. Technology's different. But people aren't different. We still have the same challenges. We still have the same weaknesses. And the Old Testament gives us stories that, so that we can remember that we too are like the people, the children of Israel. Now, in the Old Testament, you know the story. You've got creation. You've got the sin. You've got Noah and the flood that wipes everybody out. And then Noah's back, and, but the people sin again. And there's um, the Tower of Babel, and God scatters everybody. And he calls Abraham and says, I want you to leave your people and go to what is now the Holy Land. And Abraham does, and, but he's an old man and doesn't have a child yet by Sarah, his wife. And God gives him a son, remember, named Isaac when Abraham's 100 and Sarah's 90. Test, test, test. Test, test, test. Okay, there we are. So Abraham has a son named Isaac. Isaac has two sons named Jacob and Esau. Jacob's the younger, but Jacob's the one that God chooses to carry on the lineage of the godly people. And Jacob has 12 sons. They don't get along too well, and the older ones sell 
the 11th son, Joseph, into slavery. Remember that? Into Egypt. And, and then God uses a famine, and he uses Joseph to bring the entire family to Egypt, 70 of them at the time. They lived there for over 400 years, and they grow into a large, large population, and they're slaves. And then God sends Moses to lead those children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. But then Moses, after he's done, after they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, they're ready to enter the promised land, and Moses dies, and God raises up a new leader, Joshua, to actually take the children of Israel into the promised land. Remember all, all that if you study the Old Testament? And then for about 50 years, they begin, conquer the, the land. And at the end of about 50 years, now it's Joshua's turn to die, and the children of Israel are occupying what we know now today as the Holy Land. And then Joshua, before he dies, gives a challenge to the children of Israel. Now, these are the people who've seen God's miracles. They followed God in the wilderness. They've seen the, the cloud by day. They've seen the pillar of fire by night. They've seen water come from a rock. They've seen manna every morning. Are you with me? They've seen the Dead Sea collapse over the, the, the Egyptian soldiers. They've been following God and following his commands. But God knows and Joshua knows human nature. And so this is the final chapter of the book of Joshua, and we're going to read it together. If you don't have your Bible, that's fine. Just listen. Did you know that for thousands of years... As the, as the priests and Levites read, the people just listened. They didn't have copies of the Bible. It was written to be read out loud. So I'm going to read it. As Joshua talks to the children of Israel, he's about to, to die, and he has a challenge for them before he dies. Joshua 24, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads of the judges and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess, but Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it, and afterward I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea, and when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you. And the Egyptians, and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt, and you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land, and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, the king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel, and he sent and invited Balaam the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. 
And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the leaders of Jericho fought against you, and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Pray with me. Father, it's hard to believe that these words were written thousands of years ago, but we know it's true. The Dead Sea Scrolls tell us that. They were written about a people that you had saved, that you had delivered, that you had shown your mighty miracles to, and yet, Father, you knew that they were human. And so you had Joshua challenge them. And so this morning, we know we've chosen to serve you, but we know we're weak. We know we're human. So I pray that the message that Joshua delivered to your people so many years ago would be fresh and new to us today as we live in California, in Southern California, where there are so many other gods with a small g. Father, speak to our hearts, open our spiritual ears, and give us the grace to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. It seems strange to me that Joshua who led the children of Israel with Moses for all these years. I mean, he was in the wilderness all 40 years. He saw all the miracles. It's interesting to me that as his final sermon to the people, he would choose this one. And yet, Joshua knew something. He knew all people are similar. You know, I think of America. I'm kind of an amateur historian. I've taught U.S. history and government to homeschool students for years, and As I've studied early American history, I know for certain, without a shadow of a doubt, that our founders of this country intended this country to be a country based upon Christian principles. You know what the first textbook in the schools of America was? It was the Bible. You know where the school met? In the church. Usually the church house and the schoolhouse were the same building. Often, you know who taught the school? The pastor. Did you know that in the 1700s and 1800s, you could not be a college president unless you had a seminary degree? It's, it's just a fact. Did you know that even in schools like Harvard and Yale, if you go back in their early documents, the purpose they established the schools was to train people in how to live their lives according to Scripture? They say things like, cursed be any education that's not based on the Word of God. But America, much like Israel, starting out with great intentions, now very imperfect. We all know how imperfect America was in its founding. But as imperfect as it was, 
it was intended to be a place where we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created. You can't even use that word now in our schools. That we are endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Why do I tell you that? Because what you have to understand is that things haven't changed in thousands of years in terms of human nature. They just haven't. And when Joshua made this challenge to the children of Israel, choose you this day who you, who you will serve, he did it because he knew that when he was gone, the younger generations would be drawn away from God by the lure of the world and the, what the people were doing around them. It's just human nature. And so he challenged them, I want you to choose this day who you're going to serve. It's interesting to me. In verse 14, he said, now, I, I read through that entire history because I think it's good for us to read those portions of God's Word out loud to His people, okay, to remind us about the, the history. I'm not going to go through all that history again. I want to go to His challenge. He reminded them of what God had done for them. I would tell you as Americans, I need to remind you of what God's done for this country. It's not because we're brighter and better. It's not because we somehow are superior to the rest of the world that God blessed America. I don't believe that at all. God blessed America because we tried to establish it upon the principles of God's Word. And I, historically, I can prove that to you. I don't have time to do that this morning. I'm just telling you I believe that with all my heart. We tried to do that, as imperfect as we were. And God honored that. But today, we're abandoning that. Just like we know the children of Israel would abandon it. Even though they were God's people, they would abandon it. And so he said, you know what? What you have to do as an individual and as a people, you have to make a choice. Who are you going to serve? And the first part of that choice, point number one is you have to put away other gods. Look at verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. You know, today people say, well, back in those days, they served idols. They were made of gold. They were made of wood. They were made of stone. But that's not really true. I mean, they did have those idols, but you know what those idols represented? Um, I'm reading a book right now that's called The Return of the Gods. The Return of the Gods. It's by Jonathan Kahn, C-A-H-N. And Jonathan Kahn is a messianic, he's a believer in Jesus, but he's a Jewish rabbi. And he is an expert in the history of Israel, and he's watching and writes about how what happened in Israel is repeating in America today. And in this particular book, he talks about how the gods that the Israelites served in Egypt, in the Holy Land, are reappearing in America today. You know what those gods are? Very quickly, I just want to give it to you, and you may want to read the book or study this, but it's fascinating to me. The first god is Baal. Have you heard of the god of Baal, B-A-A-L? The god Baal was a god that they worshipped, and they wanted prosperity. They worshipped Baal to get prosperity for their greed and so they self-indulgence. And the god Baal led them, they thought, to prosperity. You know what the greatest enemy of Christianity? It's not poverty. It's prosperity. When people get wealthy, when people get all they need, they don't need God anymore. And the God Baal steps into the picture. 
And in America, I want you to know, we as a nation we're worship at the idol Baal. There's so many connections that he shares in his book. But even if you go to Wall Street, what's the symbol at Wall Street of prosperity? And they've got a big one right downtown New York, bull. You know what the symbol for Baal was? The bull. I mean, it goes on and on. I've got time to go through it. But we in America worship at the, the altar of prosperity. But the second god that they worshiped was a god named Ashtoreth. 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 Now, other Middle Eastern countries called that idol Ishtar or Venus or by other names. But this idol, this god with a small g, was the god of sensuality, of sexual promiscuity. And it, they, were, they had temples where um, they had women that were available to the men and as an act of worship, they got, sexuality was a part of it. You know, in America, after the turn of the 1900s, we began to remove God from the universities and remove God from other places and finally removed him from public schools, you know, in the middle 1900s. And then in the 1960s, we began what? The sexual revolution. And today we're seeing the fruit of that, which is so entire confusion about sexuality. The Bible's pretty clear. Did you know the Bible doesn't have a lot of ifs, ands, and buts about sexuality? I'm sorry. It just doesn't. The Bible says God created male and female. The Bible says, yes, we may have a desire to engage in other types of sexuality, but the Bible calls it sin. Just like it's sin for a married man to have sex with somebody that's not his wife. Other types of sex, the Bible just calls it sin. Do people want to do it? Do they have a, an urge to do it? Yes. But the Bible is about controlling those urges. The Bible is about living, choosing to live for God. So the God of Baal, greed and prosperity, the God of Ashtaroth, sensuality and sexuality. You know the third God? was Molech. Molech. And you know what the god Molech was? After they had become prosperous and their possessions became so important in their greed, and then after they began to indulge in all kinds of sexual immorality, what's the result of those things? When you begin to have sex with just anybody and everybody, there are unwanted babies. And the god of Molech was a, Mo a, a god that they sacrificed their babies to. Now, in those days, they would build an image because they didn't know how to do abortion. So, the baby would be born, but they didn't want it. They could offer it to the God, and they would have a fire below the God, and they would place the baby in this golden statue's arm, and the baby would roll down the arms into the fire. And you say, that's terrible. Let me tell you something. The Bible is very clear. I, I, I wish it wasn't so clear. I could take you to Proverbs and Psalms and Old Testament where it talks about God hates the shedding of innocent blood. And he then defines one way of shedding innocent blood is the killing of innocent babies. And he, he, it, it's, uh, 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 Kendrick's going to talk more about abortion at the end of the month. I'm not telling you what I think. What I think doesn't matter. I'm telling you what the Bible says. And the God of Baal 
the God of Ashtaroth, the God of Molech, were not just in the Middle Ages. They're in America today. And we're watching as those three, as, as our nation turns to those false gods, we're seeing the consequences of it. Now, the nation wants to blame lots of things, but I'm telling you at the core, at the base, at the heart of what's happening in America is we've abandoned the God of our fathers. We've stopped teaching our children His words. The Ten Commandments are no longer in the classrooms. They're no longer in the courtrooms. Did you know they're still in the Supreme Court, though, of the United States? In the Supreme Court building, right above the justices, is a picture of Moses holding the Ten Commandments. They no longer say that we live by them, but they're still there in front of their faces. So we live in a time much like the time of the children of Israel. And the first thing that, Moses, that Joshua said to the people is, put away your false gods. Now, how do we do that today? I want you to know at the end, I'm going to talk more about that. But folks, we cannot embrace the evil of Baal and Ashtaroth. And I, and I apologize. I'm, talking, I'm preaching to myself. Say, Phil's preaching to himself. Come on, say that. Because we live in a world where in our living rooms and in our pockets, we carry the products of Baal and Ashtaroth. We're tempted to be greedy. We're tempted to pursue possessions and make those our idols. We're tempted to be consumed by impurity and sexual immorality. We entertain ourselves with it. And one, I don't have time to go there today, but the other thing that God hates is violence. You can go back to the story of Noah. And God says, because there's so much violence in the world, I'm going to destroy it. And yet we entertain ourselves, now watch this, with greed, sexual immorality, and violence. We as God's people do is what I'm saying. And I want you to know I'm preaching to myself when I say that. I, so often we just have to turn off the TV. In fact, we've started going to YouTube and looking for Christian concerts and other things because the world is becoming so invasive into our space. You can't get away from the messages of Baal, Ashtaroth, and even Moloch. Moloch being the killing of the innocent, but also being violence and destruction. Joshua said to the people, they were not doing any of these things yet. Now, maybe a few people in the camp had an idol or something. But remember, they had been in the wilderness. What, how, many, how many TV sets did they have in the wilderness? I mean, how many phones did they have in the wilderness? They weren't even talking to other people. But now they'd been in the promised land for about 50 years, and they were conquering the land, and they were beginning to adopt some of the practices of that land. And Moses said, you've got to put away those gods first. But number two, he said something else. And then choose who you'll serve. He said, and serve the Lord, verse 18, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. Question, have you ever intentionally made a choice, I'm going to stop, stop serving these gods with a small g? I'm going to say no to these things. I'm going to try to eliminate them from my life. I am telling you, in today's world, it's a hard thing to do. 
You're bombarded by them everywhere you go. But have you done that? It's a choice. Choose, choose not to serve those gods and to serve the Lord. He was saying to them, you cannot follow the true God and these other gods with a small g. Folks, this is not political. It's just not. I'm telling you what the Scripture says. Do you understand that everything you decide as an individual impacts the culture in which you live? People say, well, you can't legislate morality. I am sorry. The only thing we legislate is morality, and the only question is whose morality is going to be legislated. There is no neutrality. There just isn't. Would you say our country and our schools are neutral when it comes to moral issues today? No, they're not neutral. The Bible calls us to stand for the truth of Scripture, and it's not popular. It's never been popular. So choose not to serve those gods. Choose who you will serve. I'm reading another book. I just started. In fact, it's Melissa's book. It's called The Insanity of God. Anybody ever heard of The Insanity of God? It's about a young couple that choose to serve the Lord in the 18, excuse me, 1980s and 1990s. They're still alive today, but they were young, a young couple back then. And it's about the choices they made, the insanity. Because the world looks at you when you begin to make these choices, and they think there's something wrong with you. They really do. This particular couple, and I'm not saying this is what everyone does, when they cho- chose to serve the Lord, the Lord called them to go to Africa. And a lot of people are afraid of that. Man, if I choose to serve the Lord, he's going to send me to Africa. I want you to relax. He's probably not. But this couple, he did. They left everything and went to Africa, and they didn't just go to Africa. They ended up in in the middle of Somalia, in the middle of a civil war where hundreds of thousands of people were dying. They were starving. And the book is about how following the Lord can seem insane. Even their Christian friends thought they were crazy. But they chose to follow the Lord anyway, and what God did through their ministry, it's really kind of amazing. I mean, it's unbelievable. These two, this couple chose to follow the Lord, and God, through their choice, and it wasn't one choice. They made the initial choice, but then it was a choice after choice after choice after choice after choice. Yep, God wants us to do this. Well, it doesn't seem like it's smart. No, it's not smart going into the country where you could be killed. It doesn't seem smart. We've got no money, and there's millions of people without food. But God wants, and God blessed that, the insanity of God. When you live for the Lord, the world will look at you like you're insane. But remember, if you follow the Lord, you're going to try to live according to what you believe His Word says. Now, we, we may disagree some on how to interpret what this says, for, but for the most part, we're going to be in agreement. We know the Ten Commandments. We know what Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, forgive one another. I mean, there are so many things that are just not arguable. The insanity of God. Are you ready to be called insane? <laughs> None of us want to. As kids, I, I talk to my grandkids sometimes, and I ask them about school and getting along, and they all want to be accepted and fit in. They don't want to be the weird one. They don't want to be the strange one. You know what I mean? That pressure, peer pressure, is huge and it's real. But the Bible God's Word calls us not to follow the ways of the world, the ways of others, 
but to follow the ways of God. So choose not to live for the other gods. Choose this day who you will serve. And then thirdly, look at the end of verse 15. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's interesting that Joshua had to say that. Didn't they know he was going to serve the Lord? I mean, they'd been following him 40 years. No, every one of us has to voice and revoice the commitment to serve the Lord. The, the Christian life, life in general, is a life where we're living, living, and all of a sudden we're wandering. Oh, I've got to get back on track. We're trying, we're trying, and we're wandering. We've got to get back on track. My wife's not here today. She's not feeling well. But my poor wife gets the brunt of my stupidity, my temper, my wrong words, my attitude. And she's generally very gracious about it. She's a kind, gentle person. She, she had four sisters growing up. I'm a knucklehead. I had four brothers. But every one of us has to deal with this flesh. You, if you look around and think somebody's really got it together, I got news for you, they're hiding it pretty good. Because <laughs> every one of us struggle. We struggle with wrong thoughts, wrong actions, attitudes. We struggle with our ego. We struggle with our idols. And we struggle with our evil. All of us. But God says, make a choice. Make a choice. Look what happens when he challenged them. Look at verse, I'm going to read this too, because I want you to hear God's word, and I want it to, to just wash over you. And then he said this, then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. What does that sound like? Far be it from us that we would forsake the Lord to serve other gods. That's pretty arrogant, isn't it? Far be it from us? No. Near to every one of us is that desire. But they said, far be it from us. Um, my page turned, and I didn't even notice it. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery, and who did these great signs in our sight and pre preserved us in all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites, that lived in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. Wasn't that a good response? Now watch what Joshua says. But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will turn and do to you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, You are a witness against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve Him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. I love that line. And incline your heart. I could chase another rabbit in the Old Testament, but if you want to do this, in the Old Testament, you'll see this word. King, I think it was Rehoboam, it says of King Rehoboam, he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. He did, he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. How do you prepare your heart to seek the Lord? 
you intentionally say, maybe you write it in the back of your Bible, today is January 8th, 2023. I want to intentionally seek the Lord. And you remind yourself of that. And then you say, and I want to, I'm going to try and read some of his word every day. And you say, you know, reading the Bible needs to become a habit. And you say, well, I don't get much out of it. Do you understand that it takes time in God's word? I made a decision, I don't even know, decades ago to read the Lord's word every day. And so I'm, I'm a strange dude. I do it at night. Most people do it in the morning. Before I go to sleep every night, I'm reading. And I read through the Bible every year. And I'm taking notes. And very seldom am I real sleepy or anything. I can do that at night. Some people can't. But the Lord, that time has become more and more precious. The reading of his word has become more and more important to me. You don't need fancy books. You don't need a lot of teachers. You need the commitment to prepare your heart to seek the Lord. You need a commitment to say, I'm going to read a chapter a day. Before I go to sleep at night, I'll just read a chapter. Start in Psalms and pick a book. Probably Psalms is a good book or one of the Gospels. And say, and before you read, you say this, Lord, would you just show me something as I read this today? Don't try to understand everything in there. That's not the point of it. The point of it is for God to speak to you. And sometimes it will be one verse or a word. But God's Spirit will begin to speak to you and say, hey, did you notice this? Because that's, and then you pray and say, Lord, thank you for showing that to me. Would you help me to live it? <laughs> I've got a friend. In fact, Dr. Jeff Orge, who's the president of Gateway Seminary, and he's the guy in charge of the group of students that Kendrick's with today. Jeff Orge, he was also the chaplain for the San Francisco Giants. Everybody say, go Giants. Can't do that down here, I know. I, that's sacrilege. I just... But Jeff was the chaplain. He's got three World Series rings. And he led some of the Giants players to the Lord. But there's one player, a real rough guy, big guy, gruff guy. He didn't tell me his name, but he, he told me this story. He said, you know, he came to know the Lord, and he committed his life to the Lord. And then he said, Jeff, what do I do now? And Jeff said to him, read some of God's word every day and do what it says. Oh, okay. Well, sometime later, I don't know how long later, Jeff gets a call on his cell phone from that player. And the player says to Jeff, Jeff, what's a tithe? A tithe? How do you spell it? T-I-T-H-E. Oh, a tithe. That means you give 10% of what you earn to the Lord. And the guy said, okay, hung up, and he started doing it. <laughs> what's the Christian life like? When you commit to Christ, you put away other gods and it's intentional that you do that. The New Testament is full of examples. We don't have time to go there. But in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul goes through a whole lost, a list of things you put away. You know what they are? No filthiness. No foolish talk. No crude joking. No sexual immorality. In fact, don't even talk about it. No coveting. No greed. No idolatry. No drunkenness. No partnership with those who practice these things. Expose them, they are unwise. Next week, Kendrick's going to talk about the, some of the things you should be doing if you're seeking the Lord. Today, I'm focusing on putting away. Folks, I want you to know I'm preaching to Phil. I'm reminding you this because it's so hard. I'm drawn to those movies and those books that celebrate the God's small g's Baal, Ashtaroth, and Molech. 
But God says, put those things away. David said, I will set no evil thing before my eyes. I will walk in purity in my own home. Wow. What a challenge. Satan is smart. He draws us in. He draws us in. He draws us in. But God says, no. Choose. Choose. So what about you? My first question to you is this. Have you chosen to follow Jesus? Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself. Now, that's the part of putting away the flesh, putting away greed and immorality. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. What does that mean? Know you're going to suffer when you do it. The cross Jesus bore wasn't for anything he did wrong. It was for what everybody else did wrong. And when you follow Jesus, you're going to suffer for it. He said, if any man would come after me, let him take up his cross daily, deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Have you done that? Have you, is there a day that you can point to like I can, June 7th, 1959, when I said, yep, I, God, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe he died for my sins. Would you forgive me? And would you, I want Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. I'm going to try to live for him. The Bible says when you do that, God puts his Holy Spirit in you. And the Holy Spirit begins to guide you as you read his word, as you talk to him and become sensitive to his spirit. You have the spirit of God in your life. We call that being born again. And those are Jesus' words. He said it to a religious leader. He said to him, did you know you must be born again to Nicodemus? Nicodemus said, do I got to enter my mom's body again and be born? And Jesus said, I'm not talking about that. Unless you're born of water and the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The first choice you need to make as an individual is, I'm going to follow Jesus. And you can do that today. Many of you have already done that. And just like the children of Israel, you think you got it together. I got news for you. You don't. Now you've got to make a choice to daily. Remember, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. It's a day-by-day choice. Would you make that choice in 2023 to make this a year where you choose to serve and follow the Lord? If you're not a believer, to do it for the first time. If you are a believer, to do it day-by-day. It's a choice. And it's amazing when you begin to do it. You began to see things happen. I can tell stories after story after story. We just don't have time. I, the other problem is when I come to preach, I can talk for a long time. But it's time to go. For some reason, as I came today, the Lord had me put in my binder some things I collect. You know what these are? Funeral bulletins of friends of mine. I keep it in my office, and every once in a while I go over and I'll pick one up. This is the latest one. This is a dear, dear friend of ours, Herbert Hayes Hooper, Dr. Hooper. He was our dentist for years. He and my mom graduated from high school together in Cedro Woolley, Washington. He was a wonderful dentist, a wonderful Christian, not a perfect man. But I look on these programs at the day of the birth and the day of the death. It's a reminder to me all the time that none of us are going to live on this earth forever. 
But these men, Rick Casel, he attended Shepherd Church. He was on staff there. He was a businessman who became a pastor. Jerry Trotter, a pastor and a janitor, wonderful Christian man. Walter Carney, a pilot, a banker, and a great giver to God's work. Mike Winther, I could go on and on. They remind me that my life is short. And it's the choices I make day by day, the primary choice to follow Jesus, that's going to make all the difference. The other thing I want to challenge you with, remember when you make that choice is you're not going to be perfect. You're not going to wake up one day and make a choice to follow Jesus and all of a sudden you're perfect. You're still going to fail and you're going to have to say, Lord, forgive me. I had to read Psalm 51 this morning as I was preparing. Lord, forgive me. Create in me a clean heart. And the Bible says God will never reject someone who humbly comes and asks. So will you choose to serve the Lord? Would you stand with me? I want to ask the band to come. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to sing a final song, and we're going to go. You know, most of you are going to leave today, and nothing's going to be different. I I know that. I've been around a long time. I am 71 going on 72. And I've preached a lot of times, and in the old days, I used to want to be Billy Graham. You know what I, who I want to be today? The guy where God speaks and one person makes a decision, a serious decision for the Lord, just one. Because God works one by one by one by one. So let me pray for you, and would you talk to the Lord as I talk to Him? Father, thank you for your word. It never changes. And Father, as we try to follow your word, we do it so imperfectly. Nobody's done it perfectly except your son, Jesus Christ. So forgive us for that. But today, Father, we were reminded of Joshua's words to your people, the children of Israel, who had followed you for 40 years in the wilderness and had seen all your miracles. They had learned your word by heart. They'd memorized most of it, and yet still... Joshua challenged them to put away false gods and choose to serve the Lord. And that's my challenge this morning. Father, I want to do that. Would you help me do it? Show me the false gods I need to say no to, the TV shows I need to turn off, the music I need to stop listening to. Father, the, maybe the people I need to stop hanging around. So show me the gods I need to put away. But then, Father, show me how to serve the Lord. That's the desire of my heart. And I pray you would work in the hearts of people here today that they would make the same commitment to you. So, Father, as we sing, work in, our, in, this, in the midst of this people. Accomplish your purposes in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be here in the front. We're going to sing a song. If you'd like to come and talk or maybe pray with me, ask me to pray for you, I'll be right up here. I can do that, okay? You can make a decision where you are, but if God puts it on your heart, you will encourage others if they see you come to follow the Lord, to make a decision, to become a Christian, maybe to join this church. Let's sing.